Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. All right, we're in Acts chapter 25 this morning. Anybody know how many chapters there are in the book of Acts? 28, we're getting there. We're going to go through Acts 25 today. In just a couple of weeks, we'll conclude our series through the book of Acts. If you have an outline, if you're here in the service, you can follow along in the outline. You can also go to the Bible app. Maybe if you're watching at home and you want to follow along with an outline, go to the Bible app, go to the events page, and you should be able to see our church listed, First Christian Church, downtown Roseburg, and the notes there that'll help you follow along in today's message. Today's message is entitled, Faith and Opportunities. And as we go through uh, the last couple of weeks, what we have noticed is Paul has been arrested, and he's been uh, in custody now for a couple of years. So a quick synopsis is, Paul was in uh, Ephesus for a couple of years, establishing that church, building up the elders. He felt a strong sense of the Holy Spirit to go to where? Anybody remember? Jerusalem. He wanted to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit really led him in that direction. He wanted to get there in time for a very specific festival. Um, And on his way to Jerusalem, as he encountered people, everybody told him, this is not a good idea. As soon as you get there, in fact, Paul, you're going to encounter uh, difficulties and hardships that perhaps we want to avoid right now as we think about the church growing. And yet Paul had a very strong sense of the Lord that not that there would not be any danger, but that it was still God's will. And I think that's an important clarification. He did not think that they were inaccurate. He did not think those warnings didn't have merit, but rather he thought, despite what dangers might be laying ahead, there is actually something for me to accomplish. I'm still going to obey God's will. This is a real important lesson that's not in your notes necessarily, but as God directs you, you may find yourself in dangerous, precarious, or uh, times of tension, that doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. In fact, sometimes in your life, that might be you're obeying him just as you should. The road of obedience does not mean we get to avoid every pitfall in life. The road of obedience does not mean every bit of cloud dissipates and all of a sudden there's no rain, there's no storm in our lives. Often obeying God means we take the difficult journey through life. Now, that should be a comfort to us because that means that every single time we're in tension or every single time that we're in a moment of difficulty, it doesn't mean God's punishing you. It simply means you're living life. So Paul heeds or he listens to the warnings that were given him, but he still goes to Jerusalem. Soon as he gets there, what they warned him about comes true. He's arrested, he's beaten, he's tortured. He goes to the place and uh, he goes to several different uh, people And now we see that Felix's time with Paul has ended. He has served his two-year stint in leadership. And now we're introduced to Festus. Everyone say Festus. This is who we're introduced to. Acts chapter 25, verse 1. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. The chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. They're still trying to kill Paul. 
After all this time, after all the assassination attempts that have failed, uh, remember there was some kind of, uh, how, many, how many soldiers were used to escape Paul? Was it 470? In the last chapter, some 400 armed men were used to escape Paul out of the assassination attempt. They're still trying to uh, attempt to assassinate, to kill, to eliminate Paul. Now, Felix, who we were introduced to in the last couple of weeks, was undoubtedly a bad man. But Festus, by all accounts, is a good man. He governed well, despite some of the problems left to him by Felix. So as soon as he gets to Caesarea, he makes the trip to Jerusalem. It's been two years since Paul has been arrested, and this is still an important thing for them in, uh, in terms of trying to get Paul uh, uh, executed. Now, Paul's extended imprisonment actually worked out in his favor. It gave him protective custody. It gave him a chance to rest, ironic as that is. It gave him a chance to get healthy. It was a season of rest, replenishment. After years of hard missionary service, after years of getting kicked out of every town that he was in, it actually provided him a little bit of rest. And so the religious leaders knew that Paul would be acquitted in any fair trial. In fact, every single time they bring up the evidence against Paul, there's none that would, that would measure up. There's no evidence. It's simply accusation after accusation. And so these religious men, these religious leaders, they justified their lies because of their faith. And because they were in positions of power and influence within the Jewish community, they lied, they took advantage of their faith, they lied in having these accusations made against Paul in order to further their own agenda. And by way of introduction this morning, I would say this, if your faith makes you a liar, there is something wrong with the way you're living out your faith. If you are justifying lies in your life because of your faith, let's take it a step further. If you're justifying hate in your life because of faith, if you're justifying uh, violence, envy, all in the name of faith, you're no better than the Jewish elite here. The Jewish elite had their uh, set of circumstances where they were losing power and influence because of Paul and the movement of the way of Christianity. They were losing power and influences. Uh, in fact, even in the Gentile culture, the Ephesus culture, the worshipers of Diana, as they, were, as they were converted and as they saw Jesus for who they were, they stopped going to the temple of Diana. They stopped purchasing the trinkets and they stopped offering uh, money and other uh, ways of, of offering themselves to the temple of Diana. And all of a sudden, every bit of influence and power in the city, both in the Gentile region and in the Jewish region, was being lessened. And so now they were trying to justify these actions against Paul. May it never be said of us that we would go to the extremes of lying, of committing violence, of committing uh, envy in our heart, our hate towards another, simply because are under the banner of our faith that is contrary to the way of the gospel. If your faith makes you a liar, there's something wrong with your faith, or there's something wrong with the way you're living out your faith. So Acts 23, there's a plot to murder Paul was first launched. Now in Acts 25, we find that the leaders are initiating the very thing that they were only tangentially involved earlier. We come to verse 4. Festus replied, 
that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me. Let's go together. Road trip. If there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. Now, we don't know if Festus knew their intentions to kill Paul, but either way, he said, well, you can come with me and we can figure this out together. Verse 6, after he stayed there among them, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took a seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jewish had come down from Jerusalem, stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. So just like what we talked about, they levy these huge accusations and charges against Paul with no evidence, nothing substantiated. Verse 8, Paul argued in his defense, neither against the laws of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. In other words, it doesn't matter if you judge me according to the Jewish standard or the Gentile standard, I'm innocent either way. So once again, he's on trial and he's defending himself. Verse 9, but Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, how about we go to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? Verse 10, but Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourselves know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not escape escape death. I do not seek to escape death, but if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. What's happening here? We're getting an inside view into the way the legal system worked. Though he was a pretty good man, Festus understood that it was important to have a good relationship with the Jewish people. And Festus himself looked at the evidence that was being brought, heard Paul and said, I don't know how to decide this case. Again, we don't know if Festus knew of the murder to the plot to murder Paul. If he did know, uh, he definitely knows that he would be putting Paul in an unusual position to be simply ambushed. So Paul is given the opportunity to make his case known in Jerusalem. But Paul says this, I am right now in Caesar's court. In other words, Paul saw the threat against his own life, and so he appealed to stand before Caesar. He was convinced that the evidence was on his side and that he could win a fair trial. Now, here's what happens. It was the right of every Roman citizen to have a case heard by Caesar himself after initial trials and appeals failed to reach a satisfactory decision. And this was an effect uh, as you would uh, make, uh, if we were to compare it to our modern day, uh, we're appealing to the Supreme Court. We're appealing to the highest court in the land. You've had your chance, and obviously there's no evidence. So Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. Um, remember, he, he, Paul's a unique uh, figure in that he is Jewish, but he's a citizen of where? He's a Roman citizen. So he has rights that Jewish people weren't entirely prepared for as they made their accusations against him. So Paul had no reason to believe that he would get a fair trial. So he appeals. Uh, now, in the historical concept, uh, context, the Caesar who's in power right now is Nero. 
Now, what's interesting is when you hear Nero, and you've had any uh, grasp of world history, uh, your heart probably sank just a little bit when you heard Nero. But all accounts historically are that in the first five or six years of Nero's reign, he was actually a pretty fair human. Now, something happened in his life where all of a sudden Nero becomes one of the more uh, aggressive uh, people in power in history. Uh, but in the early time, Nero was actually pretty reasonable. He was wise. He was a just ruler, most people believe. And so Paul had no reason to believe that Nero would be anti-Christian. So he says, I appeal. So everybody understand what's happening so far? Felix had two years with him, couldn't make a uh, case against him. Festus comes. The Jews said, hey, Festus, we have an idea. Why don't you bring him to us and we'll help you with this case? The whole time thinking they're going to kill Paul when he gets in within sight. Festus says, hey, I'm going to go over and see him. Why don't you just come with me? Goes over to Caesarea, hears Paul's case, hears the Jewish people's case, and says, I don't know what to do. In fact, Paul, why don't you go with me? Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's figure it out there. Paul, recognizing all of the moving parts, recognizing that if he puts himself in Jerusalem, no doubt he's going to be killed, says, I appeal to Caesar. This has gone long enough. I appeal to the highest ruler in the land. So now we're introduced to Agrippa and Bernice. Agrippa is known an expert, as an expert in Jewish customs and religious matters. Uh, this is where his case is going to be sent to. He didn't have jurisdiction over Paul in this case, but it was helpful for Festus to bounce this case off of Agrippa. Now, Agrippa, a little bit of context, his great-grandfather was the same king that tried to kill Jesus as a baby. His grandfather, Agrippa's grandfather, was the one that had John the Baptist beheaded. And his father was the one who had martyred the first apostle, James. And so now Paul stands before the next in line of the Herods, Herod Agrippa. We come to verse 13. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a man left prisoner by Felix. So he's there for a while. He's hanging out with the king. And after a few days, he says, I got this case I haven't been able to quite figure out. Agrippa didn't rule over much territory, but he had a lot of influence. And so Festus, in his new post, wants to get some information, some context. And because there's no evidence against Paul, he's trying to figure out what to do with this case. Uh, it's not necessarily a trial at this point, but it's a hearing. It's like, here's the evidence against Paul. Agrippa, what would you do? We come to verse 15. Festus is still talking. When I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had the opportunity to make his defense concerning the charges laid against him. They had a very clear legal way of handling these kinds of accusations. And Festus says, we're not going to skip any steps. We're going to go through the right process. Verse 17, when they came together here, I made no delay. But on the next day, took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I suppose. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion 
and about a certain Jesus who is dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Um, Look at that sentence again. Based on this sentence, do you think Festus has an accurate grip of who Jesus is? Right? He says, you know, they came and they had all these charges against him, but when the time came to prevent, uh, present evidence, they had a certain dispute about this guy named Jesus who they said was dead and Paul asserted to be alive. I want you to hold that thought. Festus doesn't quite know who Jesus is, but he knows about Jesus, right? He knows about Jesus, but he doesn't quite know who he is. We read on, being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow said he, you will hear him. It's an interesting exchange. These two men who have Paul's fate in their hands are discussing this. This is kind of behind chambers, right? They're kind of figuring out what is our next step here. The reporters aren't watching. The Jewish people aren't there. The defendant Paul is not there. But these two, like in a backroom deal, are trying to figure out how do we move forward? What's the next step in this? Paul clearly has rights. Uh, the Jews have an accusation, but they don't have any evidence. Uh, but there, there's, uh, remember we saw that phrase uh, from Festus, seeking to do the Jews a favor. He wants to have the Jews on his side, but he understands he has no evidence to, uh, to, to get rid of Paul with. And so they're coming together trying to figure out what to do. Festus was surprised, thinking that the accusations against Paul were unimportant. So far, all he could make sense of the accusations is, man, there's this guy named Jesus, and they're basically arguing on whether or not he's alive. Some of them think he's dead. The others think he's alive. This is the basis of their argument. It's amusing to think of the religious leaders protesting to Festus that Paul won't stop talking about the risen Jesus and hoping that the governor would make Paul stop. Festus didn't know much about Jesus. I want to pause here and just remind us, there's a large number of people who have heard of Jesus but don't know him. There's a large number of people who have heard about Jesus, but don't know him. Um, If we take for granted that people know Jesus like we know Jesus, we're doing a disservice to the gospel. We're doing a disservice to the people around us. Um, you, ever, um, <clears throat> you ever finally get a chance to visit somewhere that you only thought of and you only heard about other people describing? Um, a few years ago, um, after we got married, Libby and I went to Southern California and I got to take Libby to Disneyland for the first time. Now, that might not be a big deal to some of you, but it was a big deal for us. I'll be honest with you, I cannot remember the first time I went to Disneyland. 
Disneyland was like 10 minutes, 12 minutes from my home from the age I was 14. Before 14, it was probably 20 minutes away from my home. Um, in high school, we just, should we go to Disneyland? Yeah, you have an annual pass, you just go to Disneyland. You just go. It's not that big of a deal. And so I, I literally can't remember my first time. I do remember Libby's first time, and it was awesome. We, um, we bought gift cards for Disney so that when we got there, we would just be able to buy the tickets and, and, and get in line. And we got there, and we were going to plan on spending all day, so my brother Sam dropped us off. And um, that morning, it started to rain in Southern California in the summer. <laughs> That's how that trip went. So it's raining, and we're there. And... Um, and because we are going to spend all day there, and it was going to be sunny at some point, we didn't bring any hoodies, no sweaters, nothing. So we're just standing there in line waiting for Disneyland to open with, you know, Mickey Mouse ears, and it's just raining on us. <laughs> and you know when you, you, you are with your spouse or with someone you care about, you can feel the tension build? Like no words have to be spoken. You could just, okay, I see a lot of nodding faces, yes. And I just felt the tension build, right? So we're there. And um, I'm trying to play it real cool. Like, it's going to be fine. We're good. Let's just, let's just stand in the rain. I mean, there's no other option. This is where we're here. Opens up, and we go in. And then you have to walk another, like, uh, probably 100 yards or so to where the actual gate is, because you can go to California Adventure. You can go to Disneyland. So we went to the little side that goes to Disneyland. I bend over. I, I tie my shoe. Uh, by this time, it had cleared up a little bit, but it's still sprinkling. We went up to a little place where I tied my shoe. And a person comes up behind us and says, um, hey, what park are you going to? Now, I'm incredibly suspicious of people that talk to me without knowing who I am. <laughs> I thought, this is the weirdest way someone's going to rob me. It's like finding out which park we're going to. And Libby, on the other hand, loves talking to people she doesn't know. It's perfectly in her nature. You guys know Libby. So she said, oh, we're going to Disneyland. I was like, don't. Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to Disneyland. And they're like, have you bought your tickets? And again, I'm like, I don't know why you need that information. So we're not going to tell you. Libby says, no, we haven't bought our tickets yet. Uh, because we had those gift cards, but we hadn't bought it. So she goes, oh, you can come in with me. I got a pass, and I can take like five adults with me. I only got one with me today. And again, I'm still suspicious. Like, how does this end up bad for us? Because it has to, right? We're walking over to the thing, and I got my gift card ready. Uh, I'm, I'm walking just far enough away where I'm like, I don't know who this is, but also close enough like I'm with her, depending how the situation plays out, right? Not Libby with the other person. I'm with Libby. Come on, guys. So we walk over, and, um, and sure enough, the gal shows us ID. It's like a magical pass. I don't know where you got one. Five adults. There's only three of us, so she lets us in and, um, and said, oh, can we? Nope, can't take anything for it. We just, yeah, enjoy the day. I kid you not, we walked into Disneyland right past the gate, and, it, and in that moment, it stopped raining, and a little bit of sun started to peek out on us, and I looked over at Libby, and she's, like, the, the, the tears that were in the clouds are now on her face, and she's like, this really is the most magical place in the world. <laughs> now, she had seen Disney. She had watched movies, she had seen the rides, she had seen it on social media, but to experience it is a different thing, right? 
In fact, it would be completely inaccurate for her up until that point to say, oh yeah, I've totally been to Disneyland. Here's the 10 things you should do. Here's the four rides you should go on. You should get a corn dog here. Minnie will be here at this time. You can actually walk over there. And if you walk across, you can go to downtown Disney. And then right at, when the sun's going down, there's a spot in downtown Disney. And you can see the fireworks. Says, I've seen the ang It would be completely inaccurate to represent that she knew the experience just because she knew about it. We cannot allow ourselves to to simply embrace the fact that just because people think they know about Jesus, that they truly know him. In fact, don't fool yourself. You might know about Jesus, but to know him is a completely different thing. Because if I go, depending where I go, and I say, hey, I love Jesus, I might get thrown out of a place, or I might get my lunch bought for, because people's impressions of who Jesus is. I was speaking to a doctor in the last week, someone who practices outside of Douglas County, and um, he was asking me about my work, which is here, right? It's, it's loving people as a shepherd, as a pastor, and he's very curious about my world. And, and he was telling me about experiences of going to different kinds of churches in the past and just being so um, disillusioned because of the business of church or because how Jesus followers act. Can I tell you something? I'm pretty sure he knows about Jesus, but I don't think he knows him. Here's Festus and Agrippa, and they're having this backdoor meeting, and they're saying, I don't know, what should we do? And they're like, yeah, the Jews got this issue with this guy. He says, they say Jesus is dead, and he's causing all this uproar because apparently he thinks he's alive. Like, I don't understand the big deal about it, but they have this accusations. But here's the problem, Agrippa. There's no evidence, and Agrippa's listening to all of this, and I can't wait till we look at next week. And we hear Agrippa's and Paul's conversation, read the next chapter this week, and and, and bring your heart ready for what happens next week. But here's Agrippa, and he's listening. Oh, I don't know what we should do. Tell you what, let me listen to him. And the way they're describing it is this purely intellectual dialogue about a certain man named Jesus. I'm telling you, there's people that know about Jesus, but they don't probably know him. And you are the bridge between people hearing about Jesus and people knowing Jesus. Let me say that again. You're the bridge. Your life is the bridge between someone hearing about Jesus and someone knowing about Jesus. You get to, you get to be this person, this lady at Disneyland says, oh, are, are you going this way? Here, let me help you out. Let me help you out. And when you walk through the door of meeting Jesus and when they get to experience Jesus, that person's going to look back and you say, what can I do? For? They're like, no, just enjoy the ride. Because now you get to be with him. You're the bridge between someone knowing about Jesus and actually knowing him. Here's Agrippa and Festus, and they're having this conversation. And we see that they have a little bit of knowledge about what's going on, but they're not quite settled on what exactly is happening. So we come to verse 23. We pick up the, narr the narrative. On the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So you understand what's happening here? A lot of pomp. 
So I don't know what that means, but um, there's a lot of music probably. There's a lot of fanfare. People dressed up. They enter the audience hall. There's a military uh, tribunes, prominent men of the city. Now Paul is brought in and Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems, for it seems unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. It's interesting because we, there's nothing that's said in this, um, in this declaration in these last few verses we didn't already know. But it gives you an interesting window in just how the legal system works. King and Agrippa have a backdoor meeting, our backroom meeting, about what's going to happen next. They agree. And then they have this formal, um, uh, over-the-top uh, hearing to declare what they've already decided, right? So Festus says, here's what's going to happen next. And probably with some very eloquent language, adorned very nicely. But it all comes down to this last verse. For Festus, it seems unreasonable in sending a prisoner and not to indicate the charges against him. Festus clearly thought that Paul was innocent, but Festus wanted to use this trial to prepare an official brief for Paul's upcoming trial before Caesar. He couldn't simply send Paul to Caesar with a letter that says, I don't really know what's going on. It's yours now. He had to give him some um, a brief, if you would, a legal document that basically said, here's what's happened so far. Here is the pending judgment. He has appealed to you. Make your decision. And yet Paul was so innocent that Festus could not actually describe or specify the charges against him. So now what is going to happen? Well, uh, it went from Felix, had him for two years, now goes to Festus. And now Festus has the opportunity to make his case before Herod Agrippa. Our last point this morning, when we take time to shake, when we take the time to share our story, God will inevitably pay the way for us to share our stories more often. Agrippa's curiosity meant that Paul would have another opportunity to speak God's truth, not just to anybody, but to someone in power. Do you remember the promise in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15? Uh, after our during Paul's conversion, the word of the Lord came to Ananias and said, Paul's a chosen instrument. He's going to speak to Jews, to Gentiles, to kings and rulers. And his, this last few chap, these last few chapters, I should say, are the very fulfillment of that promise 20 years later. 20 years later, he has the opportunity to speak to Festus, to Felix, and now Agrippa. And this is what happens next. We have the opportunity to hear their exchange, Paul and Herod Agrippa. Most everyone present except possibly Paul was wrong in their estimation of who was important and who was not at that gathering, despite all the pomp, despite all the pageantry. 
And yet this became another tremendous opportunity for Paul because he never backed down from the opportunity to talk about Jesus. I want to end here in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. In fact, let's read this together. Ready, begin. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I'm going to read that verse one more time. Now, typically what I do when I, um, especially in the New Testament or these short phrases, I'm going to look for the command that's embedded in the scripture. And if you look for the command, it'll help anchor the passage and help you make sense of the passage. Not every verse in scripture has a command, but if there is a command, it helps anchor the passage. It'll make sense to us. So we're going to read it again together out loud. And this time, pay attention to where is the command. Ready, begin. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We're going to read it one more time. Now, this time, I want, you to, I want you to answer the question, and this is something I'll do when I read Scripture, is this verse for me, or is it for me to encourage someone else with? Okay? So, we're going to read the verse again. Is this verse for me, or is this a verse I can encourage someone else with? You're going to read it on your own. Ready? Begin. But in your hearts, Christ the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Where's the first command? Honor. Uh, What's it say? Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Us sharing our story is a response to God's holiness. This is not a ploy by me to, um, to grow numerically our church. Sharing our story that we've talked about for the last few weeks is a response to God's holiness. Because God is holy, we honor him. What's the next command that you see there? So, what was it? Always being prepared. So, as a response to God's holiness, we are going to honor him. And we are going to be prepared to share our story. Um, This is not optional. This is not um, manipulative. You believe God is holy? Our response to that is to be ready to share. Share what? Uh, It says this. 
to make a defense to anyone who asks you a, for a reason for the hope that is in you. I know what some of you are thinking. No one has ever come to me, Daniel, and said, I would like to ask for you to make a defense for the reason for the hope that lies within you. <laughs> I've been ready, Daniel, and no one has ever said those words. What does it look like for someone to ask for the hope that lies within you? Uh, let me give you a few examples. It looks like this. Hey, can I talk to you? You know what they're doing. They're asking for the hope that lies within you. Um, where do you go to church? They're asking for the hope that lies within you. What's the reason? Um, why do you avoid those kinds of jokes at work? They're asking for a reason. They're asking you for you to defend and give a statement for the reason for the hope that lies within you. Uh, people are asking for a reason for the hope that lies within you all the time. You just got to listen for it. And then there's one final command at the end. There it is. We're going to do it with gentleness and with respect. I hope Sunday mornings are a place where there's gentleness and where there's respect when we present the gospel. Don't get me wrong, we're going to give you truth. We're going to proclaim the gospel as we understand it and as we live it out. But by God's grace, we're going to do it with gentleness and with respect. Because God's asked us to. So the commands are this. Uh, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And as a response to him being holy, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. Defend it but do so with gentleness and with respect. Here in a few weeks, we're going to wrap up Acts. Um, I want to say by the second or third week, yeah, I think the third week of July, we'll finish Acts chapter 28, July 16th. July 23rd, I'm going to share my story with you. And I'm going to give you an outline for you to begin working on how do I, how do I pre be prepared? How do I figure out what it looks like for me to share my story? But I'll go first on the 23rd. And then you, hopefully, or the next year, we're just going to hear story after story after story of people getting prepared to share their story. Why? Because he's holy. Because there is a hope and because other people want to hear what Jesus has done for them. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.